0: Today, guys, we are at week 25 of our journey, and what we are going to be looking at is what the Bible says that it means to be spiritual. I'd like, you, I'd like to invite you to, uh, to pull out a Bible and follow along with me. We're keying in at, at, at two back-to-back passages that stand in contrast. It begins at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 stand in a contrast together. They're often read separately, by the way. You ever been to a wedding? You ever hear 1 Corinthians 13? Right? It has nothing to do with weddings. I hate to break it to you, all right? And what I know, right? What we're going to do today is look at, at the fundamental question that these two chapters are hitting on, and it begins in 12.1 with Paul saying this, now about spiritual things, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. What these two chapters are going to unpack is what does it mean to be spiritual? I think we're here this morning because we want to be spiritual people. And I think that we're here this morning because in all of our journeys, we've all come to a place that to discover that without the spiritual aspect of life, something is hollow and empty. Now your translation may say spiritual gifts, if you're looking at it, but it probably really isn't the best way to put it. Spiritual things, spiritual matters is really a little bit truer to the literal translation and what Paul is getting after today. However, what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 12 is Paul talking about how within this realm of things called the spiritual, there is this idea of gifts that is central to it. This idea that when any of us comes to Christ, God gives us some kind of special gift. Now, you can call them all supernatural, even if they look as plain and ordinary and, and, and uninspiring on the surface as can be, but regardless of what manifestation they take, all of them come from God. I think we need to pause, though, because I think a lot of us, when we think about spiritual gifts, reduce it to just that right there. You'll hear people, you know, I've got the gift of, like, music, or the gift of leadership, or the gift of teaching, or, or someone might say, I have a gift of mercy, or, or even prayer, or tongues, or healing, or any number of other gifts that the New Testament would talk about. But when you look at what the entire New Testament has to say about gifts, it goes much Broader than just these special things that God gives us individually. And this is key to understanding what takes place. Let me give you some examples. When Paul goes to a city in Rome, he wrote a letter to him called The Romans, and and he talks about this, this mutual encouragement that he's going to give them and that he's hoping to get from them as well. Do you know what he calls that? He calls that a spiritual gift. Now underlying the word gift is the Greek word charisma, all right? So when you hear someone talk about being charismatic, what you're really saying is they are gifted. Paul looks at mutual encouragement as a charisma. Here's another. He says, you know, God gave us this incredible gift when he sent his son to die for us. When he sent his son to die for us to to, to pay the penalty for our sins and to give us this, this gift of eternal life. The word he uses is charisma. More so, he goes on and he'll talk about not only eternal life and salvation and forgiveness, he'll talk about what strike us as more just everyday universal things. Paul will say these are gifts as well. Marriage and also celibacy. The gift that no teenager wants and every married man faces, right? Right? Apparently, in my case, for a long, long time, <laughs> all, all, of, all of these fall in the realm of what Paul will call spiritual gifts. And the problem that was happening in the Corinthian church is there were certain gifts, well, let's just face it, it's a problem today too, that just seem better. They just seem more important. They seem like, like, like they do more good. Well, I mean, let's be straight up. I, I think we, we kind of fall down on those terms sometimes. You ever, you ever kind of like look at someone who just seems really gifted and they're doing something and, and, and like people are coming to Christ and people are being led in worship and, and people are walking in the Lord and people are being helped and the kingdom of God is making an advance in the world and you're like, I, I just, what God's given me, I mean, it's just not in the hand. You know, it's just not in the deck. I, I can't do that? Or have you ever seen the other side? People with certain kinds of gifts that seem to kind of know they got them and let you know they got them too. You know, you ever see the people who kind of take that gift that God has given them and they start to kind of change it in such a way as though it seems like there's something so special about them. Look at how much God loves me. Look at how awesome I am. Look at how spiritual I am. I mean, isn't it evident from the gifts that God has given me? And what the entire run of 1 Corinthians 12 is doing is trying to attack this head on and turn it on its head. Now, we're going to pick up again at verse 4, and Paul will write this. He'll say, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of charisma, but the same spirit, right? There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in, read it with me, everyone. That means today, if you are a believer in Christ, God has given you a gift. And it's probably not going to look like someone else's gift. And you know what? It shouldn't. He goes on, and you can follow along with me. He writes this. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another knowledge and and by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of them. All these are the work of one, and are you getting this theme? The same Spirits. And he gives them to each one, Just as he determines. See, God has got a lot of work to do in this world. Would you agree? And that work is not going to happen if everyone is doing the same thing. And what Paul seems to be saying is that when we come together as believers, each of us, each and every one of us, yes, even you who thinks I'm not talking to you right now, each and every one of us has a crucial role to play. God has given you a gift and through that gift, you have got a crucial role to play in this world. Now, back uh, Back in my former life, through high school and college and seminary and even um, through that, I was actually a musician. Now, just so you don't get the wrong impression about me, I was not a cool musician like people up here. I played the tuba, all right? <laughs> through that journey... I got to play in a number of bands and a number of orchestras. And some of them, um, albeit not because of me, were actually quite good. And I got to tell you, there is something amazing and something humbling when you get together with 90-plus other people to go after this common thing, this common tune, this common music, and each bringing your part Together to make it happen. And there's something that that happens very interesting in, in, in the orchestra world. Remove a section or remove a piece, and the song, believe it or not, can still go on. It just doesn't sound as good. It just doesn't have the same girth or impact. It doesn't strike people quite in the same emotional way. Now, I don't know if you have experience in the music world, especially when it comes to larger orchestrations of that nature, but I've noticed something else in the music world as well. There are certain sections that think they are better than others. And I'm not talking talent. I am talking that there are certain sections that think they are more necessary, more important, more special. Where has the word diva come from, right? I mean, here's kind of how it plays out. If you want to look at the orchestra world, you can do this. Violins think they're all that and more. They think they rule the roost. They think there's something special. Don't believe me? Ask a cello player. All right? Trumpets think they rule the brass section. And us lower brass people, who needs you? You get into the flute world, it's that person sitting at first chair that always gets the piccolo. He knows he's sitting on top, all right? All right? And then you can start going through the food chain. And after that come your oboes and clarinets and your saxophones and some of your primary drums and percussion. And you can keep working your way down. And then at the bottom of the food chain, triangles, cymbals, (laughs) and tubas. (laughs) And yet there are pieces that if you do not have those elements of orchestration sound completely flat. Are empty. Every piece is needed for the song to play. Are you with me? The exact same thing is true in the church. The exact same thing is true in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if you guys realize this. It's, it's easy to miss, but how many people that are using their gifts to just even make something as simple as this Sunday morning thing happen. Never mind going out of these doors afterwards in an hour to bring the kingdom of God forth, but just coming to make something like this happen. I'd like to do something today, and if you hear me describe you, um, I'd like you to stand up, okay? Because I'm of the firm opinion that gifts are something to be celebrated, and everyone in their life needs someone to wildly cheer for them at least once, all right? So when these people stand, what I want you to do, I I want you to give it up for these people, and let's rejoice in what what they're doing and what God is doing through them and what they've chosen to step forward on. Does this make sense? All right, let's start with this. If you are a musician, if you are in any way involved with the music or the production uh, of the music here at Fellowship of Faith, would you stand up, please? Now, you thought you were supposed to sit down, but that's not true. Get up, all right? Get up. All right. If you were in any way involved with the construction of just getting this going here today, be it the room, be it hanging speakers, anything like that, would you stand up? We just want to recognize you here today, all right? Now, who here likes coffee and treats? If you are in any way involved with making that like 50 foot monstrosity food bar and coffee bar thing happen on any given Sunday, would you stand up please? Now there's an entire logistic element. There's all these people that do things like shovel snow out front, that hand out bulletins, that greet people at the door, that put out connection cards, that usher and greet and work the welcome center and get their hands dirty and all the logistical things, preparing communion and stripping candles when we do that and you know all that kind of stuff behind the scenes. If I'm speaking to you right now, get on your feet. Okay, and last but not least, let's not forget them. The bottom of the ministry food chain, children in student ministry, all right? If you are involved in children in student ministry, get on up. (laughs) Now, before you have a seat, take a moment. There are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service. Would you agree? But the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in everyone. Look at the volume of what it takes to keep a church our size moving forward with the work of God. It's staggering, isn't it? Do you start to understand a little bit of what I mean when I say everyone has a crucial role to play? Guys, go ahead and can have a seat. Now, I'm not looking to call anyone out. I'm not looking to embarrass anyone. But not everyone stood up. Am I agreed? And that doesn't mean that, that people who didn't stand up aren't serving. Maybe some of them are serving in other capacities. Maybe some of them are serving during the week, running discipleship groups, helping in the office, doing IT, doing custodial or maintenance, doing mission work and service projects. The kingdom goes beyond Sunday morning. Amen? But I know that there are some of us here right now that are still going, but what's my role to play? And maybe you're sitting here today and you just don't know. Whatever the reason is, maybe you're sitting here today and you're looking around the groom and you're going, man, there's like 900 people that stood up. Why could they possibly need me? There's a little video we, we found this week that I'd like to show to you. Just take a minute and watch this and uh, we'll go
1: from there. So I'm at my sister's house and she has all these knickknacks around the house. You have uh, Chachi was on happy days. And these things, they just sit around the house, they don't do anything. Supposedly they look good. You got these three monkeys right here. You got this little thing. I have no idea what this is all about. Father and his three kids. Okay. Then you got homegirl from Africa going back to the motherland. Then you got this frog playing the guitar. And I asked her. What good are they what do they do And she said they don't do anything but sit around the house and look good. I wonder how many of y'all at church knickknacks. you get dressed up you look good, you go to church but you don't do anything. you don't serve you don't go feed the hungry, clothe the naked you don't go help the poor you just go to church and take. I want to encourage you this week stop knickknacking go up to someone in your leadership and say I want to do something. Be a doer of the word, not only a hearer of the word. Stop knickknacking and go do something, or you're going to end up like one of these little things.
0: Now, let's go back to this. Paul writes this. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. That means in God's economy, there's no such thing as a knick-knack. And you might feel like a knickknack here today, but God doesn't look at you that way. You might go, what role do I have to play? To which you go, I don't know, but we want to help you find that way. Because when the body works the way God intends the body to work, each of us has a role to play. If you're still in 1 Corinthians, look at what it says. Paul writes this. He says in verse 14, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body, right? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, and listen up, knickknackers, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. while well, our presentable parts need no special treatment at all. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should be, have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Please read the words on the screen with me. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each and every one of you has a crucial role to play, because each and every one of you has been given a gift, whether you recognize it or not, by the living God. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a purpose for you that goes beyond your own betterment. A purpose for you that, that, that's meant to bring blessing and light and, 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 and the kingdom and, and salvation in, in, its, in its entire sense to the world around. But let me ask you, do you believe it? Do you actually believe it? Are you willing to trust the words of God over what you might in fact feel? Or are you going to choose instead to trust how you view the situation and go, God, you know, maybe someone else, you probably don't mean me. This is what faith is all about. These moments in life where God presents us with something that may feel as though it goes beyond what strikes us as reality and going, Lord, I'm going to believe that it's true. And guys, I'm here to tell you, I believe it's true. I believe it's true for each and every one of you. See, here's the thing. I've met a lot of people that start to make gifts the litmus test for what it means to be involved in the kingdom of God. You ever hear this? Something's going on, you're like, you know, it's not really my gift. You know, someone needs help. Geez, I hope someone comes their way because I am just, what could I do? I'm not good at that. And this fundamentally is what 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 is all about. Now, look at how Paul ends 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, and now I will show you the most excellent way. I feel like Bill and Ted should be saying this right now. And now I will show you the most excellent way. The pretty good way? The equally good way? No, the excellent way? No, not even the excellent way. The most excellent way, and let wedding flashbacks begin. What does he say? If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels... But have not, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have faith that can move mountains and surrender my body to the flames and give all I have to the poor, but have not, I am nothing. Right? And then he starts to talk about what it's like. He goes, love is patient. It's kind." It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it delights in the truth, it always protects, it always hopes, it always hangs in there, right? And we can go on. Do you know what Paul is really saying? The greatest spiritual gift is love. At the end of the day, your gifts are cool, but in God's economy, they don't mean a bit of difference compared to this thing called love. Gifts is not what defines you. Love is. Being spiritual is not about gifts. Being spiritual is about love. Which means that if you're sitting here today and you feel like you are the most ungifted person, unimportant person that God has ever created this side of the cross in humanity, Paul says, I got good news. The most spiritual people on this planet are the people who simply act in love. Who see a need and have a heart for people so they fill it. Who see people struggling and no one's helping them so they step in. Who go, I don't care how I look. I don't care if if, if I get the glory. There's something that needs to be done for God's kingdom. Count me in. See, this is what, what being spiritual is all about. Not worrying about your gifts and how that plugs into how you help and how you serve. Simply saying this, God, may I be motivated I love. May I love the people that I worship with that I'll serve them. May I love my family so much that I'll humble myself and put my needs aside to lift them up. May I love the the, the people who are in need and struggling and suffering in this world so much that I'm going to sacrifice of myself for them even if I don't know what I'm doing, even if I don't know where to start, even if I don't know how to begin, even if I'm not good at it. Because I love them so much, I can't just sit and watch and wait for someone else to step in. Are you with me? See, what God has called to define us is this thing called love. It's a thing that's supposed to define every believer and every church. And I want to see this place, and, and I want to see us as a people be a people who are driven more by love than by the need at the moment, more by love than by gift, more by love than what I'm good at. More, you see what I mean? And we want to help you on that journey. Because I know some of you might be sitting here right now going, Okay, but wh- where, where do I begin? This is what service is all about. All the people that we had stood up just a moment ago, see, that wasn't just to kind of like go, oh, look at them, aren't they awesome? It wasn't just to go, look at how much it takes to run a machine. It wasn't just to kind of go, look, see, we need you too because we got like three openings and children's. It's not about that. It's, service is about helping people step out on a journey of discovering what it means to be a person of love. Amen? Guys, I want to tell you a little bit more about how this journey is going to go for us at FOF. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you've heard me say, we're on this quest of asking ourselves, how do we obey God more? and Not to impress him and not to buy him off and not to wow him, but because we love him. and Because you do the things that please a person you love. We want to help you get in the game of serving others in love. Now on your, way, <coughs> excuse me, on your way out today, ushers are going to hand you a, a, a piece of paper. It's going to say 42 ways to serve or something like that. It's just going to list a whole bunch of ways that you can get in the game. We're putting this to just get it on your grid. I want to encourage you, don't just kind of look at it and chuck it on the seat. Really read it. Really sift through it. Really, really dig your teeth in and go, God, how maybe can I step in today? But we want to do more than that. Today after the 10.30 worship, we're starting something new. Something that, that, that's new for us today, but it's going to begin something that we do on a, on, on, on a somewhat regular occasion. It's simply called this. It's a 10-minute touch point. The staff and I are going to hang right here, right here where I'm standing after 10.30 worship. And if you're sitting here kind of going, you know, I'm too timid to call someone on a list. I'm afraid of all these things like, am I going to get roped in? Am I committed for life? What if I'm not good at it? What if it's not for me? What, right? We're just going to help you navigate some of that give you some ideas about how you can take a next step. And if you want to, great. And if you don't, no harm, no foul. We'll pray God's blessings on you on your way. However you get into the game is secondary to defining yourself as a person of love. Because that's what being spiritual is all about. Guys, I'd like you to rise, and I'd like you to pray with me. God, we come today, um, I think think we all want to be spiritual. But God, forgive us when we, when we attach being spiritual to a feeling we get, to an experience, to uh, those moments, God, honestly, that we love, where it just resonates deep in our core. And God, may we, may we define ourselves by love instead. Love is action. Love is duty. Love is sacrifice. Love is an act of the will. When we see the needs of people, may we love them. And may we show it the love and not just feel it. When we see opportunity for your kingdom to grow, It would love you and the people it's going to reach. Pour ourselves in. Help us, God, through confusion, timidity, self-doubt. And remember that when you look at us, you go, you are a child on who I've given my spirit. May we heed your call to go forth in love. God, we pray. Amen.